This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm T. Shaoik and Lim Su An is in the studio with me. Now, our story today is looking at the free breakfast program for school children, which was first implemented in January 2020 by the former Pakatan Harapan government. And opposition MPs are now asking the current government to resume this program. So initially, the free breakfast program was proposed for all students by former Education Minister Dr. Mazli Malay uh, as a way to address malnutrition among children. Children, uh, but it later targeted only B40 students. Now, when the Perikatan government took over, it put the program on hold. So we'll be discussing why a government-funded meal program is important for all school children and how it will benefit their growth and learning in the long run. And we want to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that this free breakfast program should resume? So your options uh, on our Twitter poll are uh, A, yes, for the underprivileged, B, yes, but for all students, or C, no, draft other policies instead. So you can take that poll on Twitter at BFM Radio. You can also tweet us your thoughts or WhatsApp them in at 018-789-8899. Yep. So when the free breakfast program was first implemented last year, it received a lot of praise from both educators and parents. It was seen as a positive move to ensure that children across, across Malaysia get access to the most important meal of the day and that's breakfast. Mm. And, and that ensures that they have the energy and the nutrients they need to you know be ready for the school day ahead. Right. That's right. Mm. And I think Many parents were relieved, especially working parents, because this was an avenue for kids to get a nutritious meals. And often, you know, working parents don't have enough time to prepare them a proper breakfast at home before their children, um, you know, are sent to school. And this is especially in households where both parents have jobs. And malnutrition is actually an issue here in Malaysia, especially among poor households. I mean, based on some of our past national health and morbidity surveys, um, the one in 2015 found that one in 10 children under five years old were found to be stunted, while the one uh, the survey in 2017 found that one in three school-going children, uh, uh, which are those aged between 10 and 17, were overweight, uh, were overweight or, or obese. And it's important to understand that malnutrition cuts across all social classes. And when we look at upper-income households, for example, children might have enough to eat, but they are eating a lot of high-carb foods and may not be getting enough nutrients or a good variety of foods and this includes you know your fruits your veggies and so on so you know malnutrition is an issue that really it is not sort of confined to the B40 community mm. only for example but really we need to address it among all students. And what you described is that double burden right you mm. have um, the stunted and underweight on the one end and then you have children who are also overweight and uh, that, that really shows that uh, malnutrition is, is such a broad spectrum as well. So going back to the free breakfast program, it was supposed to consist of 20 menus so that uh, students get to eat a variety of food instead of just one meal during their semester. So think of items that also contain protein, you know, important uh, nutrients like, uh, you know, uh, foods like eggs, tofu and so on, and not just limited to those easy-to-get carbs like mm. cream crackers and bread, which are, I guess, more simple carbs, right? Uh, not really high-quality nutrients. Uh, and uh, this program was also meant to teach children civic lessons, you know, because they would pick up eating etiquette. They would learn how to dispose of their food properly 
properly clearing up their plates and, and so on after the meals. But as I mentioned earlier, the program was actually initially meant uh, for all uh, students across Malaysia, as proposed by former Education Minister Dr. Mazli Malay, and it initially had a budget of 1.67 billion ringgit. But when Tun Dr. Mahathir uh, replaced him as Education Minister, it was scaled down to include only B40 students and was first piloted across 100 schools only. And uh, this sort of um, scaling down actually did receive quite a bit of flag. Mm. And many ex- uh, policy experts then argued that you know targeting these B40 students might attach a stigma to them because you know you're singling out these students to get free breakfast when some of their peers aren't. You know, and there were also arguments about the whole point of a free breakfast program for just poor students because there was an existing program to provide free meals to students who couldn't afford meals, and that was the Rancangan Makanan uh, Tambahan program. Mm. But eventually, the free breakfast program was discontinued anyway as uh, school closed for the pandemic uh, and then switched between in-person and online classes last year. And um, since classes have resumed this year, uh, just very recently, um, unfortunately, the Education Ministry has not resumed this breakfast program. So we want to look at how important it is to have this program back on track in order to address malnutrition among school children and uh, what are other ways we can uh, use to resolve this issue. Hmm. So to do that, we are joined over Zoom today by Fariha Fahmi, who is a Teach for Malaysia alumna and capacity builder for the Prevention of Non-Communicable, Non-Communicable Disease or NCD Prevention. So thanks for joining us today, Fariha. So what's the situation like here in Malaysia when it comes to children and nutrition? You know, are our children generally meeting their recommended nutritional needs? So I think um, in 2018, the Global Nutrition Report um, said that Malaysian children are suffering from uh, the burden of malnutrition. So that is uh, stunting or being overweight. And in 2019, I think UNICEF published another report on the state of nutrition for Malaysian children, um, reporting similar findings, stunting and obesity, actually, amongst Malaysian children. Um, So this was pre-COVID times, and we already see alarming nutritional outcomes for Malaysian children. And now in COVID times, when dietary quality amongst families from low-income households have decreased, um, female-headed households in particular, I think the situation for uh, children's nutrition is even more concerning, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, what are the main causes of malnutrition, particularly here in Malaysia? Where do they stem from? Sure, that's a really interesting question. I'd say that there are actually multiple factors that contribute to malnutrition. So um, if you think about an economic perspective, uh, you think about high quality, healthy, whole food, that's actually really more, much more expensive than processed food, for example. So when you think about feeding families on a limited budget at that, you really reach for the cheapest options available. And what's cheapest may not necessarily be the healthiest, right? Then there's also things like socialization of food preferences, for example. So a lot of people generally um, think that kids are fussy eaters. And that's, that's sort of the research actually says that that's inaccurate. Um, so as a parent, generally, my experience has been that people even in upper middle income communities uh, find children to be fussy eaters. It's not the case. And what happens is that children who consume um, food that are carb rich, for example, actually are susceptible to things like hidden hunger. Uh, and, and it's not seen, but uh, unless you're actually, well, unless you're an expert, and you know what to look for. But these are long run consequences for the child. 
So speaking of the socialization of food preferences, do you think that malnutrition also has to do with our modern food culture? I mean, you know, we are spoiled for good food and convenience, it seems, and understandably, there's that cost factor that you mentioned. But the food we find outside may not be wholesome, uh, so to speak. Oh, for sure. So I think our collective identity is is food, right? So when whenever you're overseas or, you know, um, you just, people tend to identify Malaysians as being huge foodies. And what happens is that we're really undisciplined when it comes to eating. So food's available anywhere, everywhere. So I think there is something to be said for food culture or eating habits being a cause of malnutrition. Um, just simply because it contributes to things like obesity, right? When you're when you're hungry at 12 a.m., um, well, of course, pre-COVID times, you would more likely than not go to a mama because that's something that's available and uh, with little thought about what you're actually consuming because you're just so driven by hunger at that point in time. Uh, so you're driven also by convenience, I think, and that that's another issue. Fast food is widely available and more often than not <laughs> you're right i think i think um what we eat and how we eat it is actually to be blamed right and uh, you used to be a teacher in perak back in 2013 before the free breakfast program was implemented and you taught form 4 and 5 students so what were your observations when it came to the food options that were provided in your school ah i see so this is um one of the other uh, inequities that i would say i observed as a teacher so um, food options uh, in school differed for teachers and students, right? So it was great for teachers. Uh, the options were really um, very delicious, healthy. I actually developed a love for uh, ulam and patin masak tempoya and ikan perkasam and all these things I hadn't been exposed to as a child just because I came from a different region. Um, and so it helped me personally to expand my palate and to, st- to stop me from becoming a more selective eater. But that being said, the food options for students were, um, and I know my students appreciate this word, it's horrendous. Um, I, I used to say this to them all the time. The food that they were eating were processed foods like nuggets, um, fries, sausages. And then you think about the sugary drinks available at school. They are all sorts of neon colors, like bright green, um, some weird purple color. Uh, and the food is generally energy dense, but nutritionally poor. Uh, there were relatively healthier options like bihun or nasi um, goreng, nasi lemak, but it would really come with um, one slice of cucumber. Uh, and these food options for children were cheap and um, easily consumed. And uh, given the short recess period, so generally um, it's multiple, I, I think it's a host of factors that allow children to make these sort of food choices for themselves, given the environment that they were in. There were different food vendors outside of school, but they would be your average stalls, right? Like um, pisang goreng and apambale and things. So they're, um, they're delicious and I'm guilty of eating it, but they're also not uh, generally the most nutritious of foods and for children who are in a really formative stage of their development this is obviously not what we want them to be consuming regularly. What about meals from home Freha? Did any of your students bring anything that was home cooked? No, no. Uh, there weren't uh, any kids who actually brought food from home even though they were spending most of their time at school uh, for after school activities for example. I think uh, for a lot of their parents who were working in uh, shifts, 
um, because most of them were factory workers where I was teaching the economy was mainly um, mainly an industrial area so most of the parents of the kids were working as security guards factory workers um, even canteen operators uh, or working at the Pasamalam. So they didn't necessarily have the luxury of providing healthy home-cooked meals for, for the kids. All right. On that note, we'll go for a quick break, but do stay with us, Fariha. We're speaking about the free breakfast program that was implemented by the former Pakatan Harapan government last year. Uh, and our guest today is Fariha Fami, Teach for Malaysia alumna and Capacity Builder for NCD Prevention. We'll be continuing our conversation with her when we come back from our short break. So stay tuned on the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm T. Xiao Ik and with me, Lim Suen. Today we're discussing calls by opposition MPs for the government to resume the free breakfast programme that was implemented by the former Pakatan Harapan government last year. That's right. And before the break, we were sort of talking about how the programme is linked with efforts to address malnutrition among school children in Malaysia. And we began our conversation with Fari Hafafmi, who is a Teach for Malaysia alumna and capacity builder for NCD Prevention. Now, she described what meal uh, offerings looked like at her school when she was teaching in Para under the Teach for Malaysia program. Yep, and we are continuing our discussion with Fariha. Fariha, so thanks for staying with us, Fariha. Now, you've told us the types of food that your school offered, which contained a lot of processed foods and quick options, you know, sausages, fried foods and so on. But what did your students' um, eating habits look like? So I think uh, if I were to um, think back on my time in school, I think it would probably be um, fries sold in paper cups in school uh, and doused with uh, this diluted chili sauce. That's what the kids would generally tend to eat. Yes. Um, now, we've heard a lot of issues with a lack of choices in schools when it comes to nutritious meals, right? But there must be other factors, um, aren't there? Like cost, for instance. Oh, for sure. So um, on occasions, there would be, I guess, the daily specials, right? Where you have uh, nasi ayam or uh, bihun soup, for example. So that was a more uh, substantial meal that was, uh, you know, arguably healthier. But that would be more expensive for the kids. And um, if I think about my students, I had, uh, I was teaching in a B40 community. And uh, my students were 17-year-old. And they would work from 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. every day just to pay house rent, you know. So this, so this idea of a proper meal is obviously uh, not something in their daily vocabulary. In fact, actually, some of my students, uh, one of them in particular, actually had to decide whether or not to come to school or not because that two ringgit pocket money that her mother would give her is actually um, money to feed a family for a day. I don't know how you actually manage to do that for a family on two ringgit. But that was the difficult choice that she had to make at 17. Um, I would also have students who uh, tell me that they're fasting. And even though it's not Ramadan, um, even though I offered to you know, um, treat them to meals at the canteen, for example, but they would say, no, no, teacher, I'm, I'm fasting. It's okay. It's okay. And it's the same story every day. And it was later that I realized that um, I think the dignity of... Um, was something that was a big issue for them, right? The Just the pride of saying that, you know, I can't, like pride stops them from saying, I can't afford it, I'm hungry. But these are the honest, real stories, like in, in a school in Perak. Um, so my husband was also part of the Teach From Nature program. That's how we met, actually. So um, 
he uh, his students ate chicken once a year because that's all they could afford. Um, and these are the stories that other Teach from Malaysia fellows have told us. These aren't stories in isolation. And this was happening back in 2013. Um, we've had, you know, stories of students who whose fingers were deformed because all they could eat was just rice, plain rice with salt. So I think food is is so central to a child's development. And if we're expecting that these kids have a good education and all that, but without meeting their physiological needs, then that's simply impossible for us to do. So I'm, I mean, I guess this is why food matters so much for, for kids, really. Mm, definitely. And it's really unfortunate to hear that, you know, child, these children are going through so much just to have a proper nutritious meal. I mean, in, in, 20, in January 2020 last year, the Education Ministry implemented the free breakfast program. I mean, how did you feel about this policy? Did you think that uh, it's a holistic way of approaching malnutrition? So to be perfectly honest with you, I was actually disappointed by the implementation of it. I really welcome the idea of a free breakfast program for everyone. Um, the idea of a universal breakfast program was was uh, something that I really welcomed because it's a great opportunity for uh, children. It's not just about what they're eating at that point in time, but it's also the far-reaching consequences of such policies, right? So you know that eating, especially in Malaysian culture, is such a social act. When you eat together, um, you have the opportunity to interact, you have the opportunity to develop um, values, uh, care, consideration for each other. Um, and in the case of fussy eaters, for example, like research has shown that um, children are more likely to eat when uh, in a positive peer pressure sort of environment. So uh, that would help to actually solve this malnutrition issue just because uh students are going to um, be more likely to try a varied diet that would have come with this universal policy on uh, for free breakfast. Um, it would have, you know, removed the stigma for students in need because everybody would be, you know, eating the same thing and they wouldn't, they wouldn't feel singled out for not being able to afford meals. Um, and so there were many, I think, potential benefits that could have come out of this program. So that's why I said that I was actually pretty disappointed by the implementation because it seemed like a compromise uh, between what the original ambitious target was and what has already happened on the ground. I know that potentially, you know, there were cost considerations to think about, but I think that it was uh, a missed opportunity, to be honest, for for the ministry to um, develop things like cohesion and collective identity, especially around food. So, so I, I'm, I was really disappointed. Hmm. And I assume your disappointment is rooted in the fact that, you know, initially the program was meant for all students, but then it was later revised to only include students from the B40 households. That's right. The, so the free breakfast program was intended for everyone, right? Regardless of socioeconomic circumstances. And uh, I think UNICEF found that um, 7 out of 10 students actually don't eat meals in the morning because of a lack of appetite and a lack of time. So I feel like these were, um, you know, things that could have uh, been addressed with a free breakfast program. And, and I think about students right now in COVID circumstances where, you know, families are uh, more food insecure um, because of uh, an unemployment and things like that. And it just seems as though had this been uh, introduced or rolled out, it would have been such a great opportunity for 
Malaysian students to ensure that it would have been a great opportunity, I think, for, for students. We know that our students have been you know, affected by online learning. Uh, so there is that issue of learning loss. Coming back to school to you know, be greeted with um, a meal that's communal would have potentially helped them with the socialization aspect, right? That they would have missed out on with online learning. So I just feel that it's a missed opportunity all around. <laughs> mm, I'd like to also extend your, on your point on why you think it's important that access to free meals be expanded for all students, because I think there are points to be made beyond nutrition, which could benefit school children. Sure. So simply because the benefits of um, rolling out a universal program would have far outweighed the cons of, of um, implementing this on the ground to begin with. I think research has shown in other countries, so with uh, other countries that have school feeding meals, so are you know as diverse as Bangladesh or Japan and uh, France, for example. So in in these countries, um, the, the children eat the same meal, right? And what uh, so in France in particular, um, there's a whole culture built around school eating and uh, the idea that you know, mealtimes is not only for appreciating the food that you have, but uh, the socialization of it, uh, the appreciation of new food. That's actually part of what a good education should look like for kids. It's not just about what they learn in textbooks, but it's also how they apply this learning and these values in daily life. And in uh, Malaysia's situation where we come from, you know, um, we come from different backgrounds, creeds, I think food is generally the thing that unites us all. So I feel like it was a missed opportunity, again, um, for for uh, Malaysian kids. Uh, it would have helped, I can imagine, so many different things. You know, it would have developed, uh, children could have potentially developed a love for um, food like dim sum, which is the, like pals or, uh, you know, or, or tosis. Like all these things that you enjoy as an adult, um, because you now have been exposed to it uh, in a different sort of setting. Like all these good food habits can actually be inculcated from a very young age. As working adults, we've got an hour for lunch break. We expect students to come down from class, sit in the canteen. Uh, wait, sorry. So sit in the uh, purchase food, sit, find a place to sit in the canteen, gobble it up all within the span of 20 minutes and then return to class. So it doesn't promote um, appreciation for food at all, which is why when um, Dr. Masli actually decided that this was going to be a breakfast program, I really welcome the idea just because you actually have dedicated time for the kids to learn to eat. So right now, the Education Ministry has put the free breakfast program on hold, but Education Minister Datorati Jidin has said that he would reconsider implementing it again. So how do you feel about the current situation? So I actually wrote a couple of articles to um, to the Star, I believe, uh, at that point, because this really concerned me very much as an educator and as a as a parent who is keen on sending my kids to the national education system. Um, I would have, you know, seen this as a particularly big advantage for for my own children. And if I believe so much in the system, I would want that, you know, for my own kids, right? Um, he made some uh, headway in announcing that he would consider, uh, you know, the merits of implementing this program in schools. That has yet to materialize, I think, even especially now um, with all the other 
education-related issues that this ministry is currently battling. Mm. And what are some other strategies that Malaysia can adopt for from other countries to address malnutrition? And you know, how can we also go beyond government-funded meal programs? That's a really interesting question. So, um, I think that firstly, the discussion on children and nutrition should actually go beyond, um, you know, malnutrition. Uh, so. If you think about policy, and I know, and I know this is very complex, right? And and there are so many uh, unintended consequences that may come out of an implementation of a certain policy, for example. But think about it: Malaysia's prevalence of uh, non-communicable diseases, right? That's something I'm 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 I've now grown to be more familiar with, such as you know diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular diseases are on the rise. And you know that this is influenced pretty much by uh, diet and physical activity. Right. So in order to be able to sort of um, address all these issues, it has to start from, honestly, it has to start from the top. It has to start with inter-agency, uh, inter inter-ministry cooperation to create or uh, alter a food environment. So we've got to actually think about how we're implementing the policy to begin with. We can't just adopt like strategies piecemeal from other countries and um, sort of bring it into Malaysian, the Malaysian context and expect that it will work. So government-funded feeding is one of it, but I think it's a whole uh, food system sort of approach. You've got to think about how to make um, food prices more accessible for people. You've got to think about um, marketing of foods to children, for example, and that's not and that's not something that any one body can um, you know oversee and and change. It's got to be a collective effort. Uh, I think where. Malaysia can uh, learn from other countries is actually making use of businesses around them, for example. So with uh, so think about the school's place in a community. Think about the um, businesses that are within the school, uh, the local environment. How can you work together on, on the ground? So these are, I suppose, uh, some of the strategies that we could potentially adopt, but it's a long, complicated and concerted effort. Uh, if we're thinking longer term about building, sustaining uh, Malaysia's capabilities, I think you've got to invest in your children in their earliest years. That includes in schools, but also before that, in their earliest days of life, right? So from zero to two, the first thousand days, that's an important um, period. What can be done potentially in that in that period of time is to um, help educate parents better about food intake for children. I know, and I know the Ministry of Health actually has these guidelines on 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 food intakes. Uh, let's be clear about that. But I think in terms of implementation, uh, it's a little bit harder to, you know, to execute on the ground. I think there has to be shift or change in our um, food supply chains, for example. But if we're talking about the school period, so from five to nineteen, which is when uh, you know catch up growth can actually happen, it's about sustain uh, it's about building the capacity of students but it's also about providing them hands-on practical experiences to to food so i know in uh, in the uk for example or in in a bunch of different countries actually there's a method called the uh, sapere method of education so um, what they do is provide sensory and taste education for kids uh, so that's something that potentially, you know, we could implement in schools in our Pendidikan Kesihatan um, syllabus, for example. Uh, only about 15% of the syllabus is dedicated to uh, food uh, intake, and, and which is which is pretty um, low considering the amount of time Malaysians spend thinking about food, 
thinking about where to source it, eat it, what's next for their meals and all of that. Fariha, thank you so much for speaking with us today. That was Fariha Fafmi, a teacher, a Teach for Malaysia alumna and um, capacity builder for NCD prevention. And she spoke about her experience as a school teacher in Perak. Uh, that was back in 2013 and the eating habits of her students, as well as the importance of having a government-funded meal program for these school children. So she shared some pretty interesting insights, right? Especially on how reinforcing um, the importance of meals um, extends beyond nutrition. It teaches students to appreciate the time they should take to eat. Um, it's about socialization. It's about the civic habits that they can pick up. And um, she brought up some other issues as well and uh, something for um, policymakers to think about, perhaps the need to provide longer lunch or break times, right? Mm. She said, and, and it brings back the memories now of <laughs> 20 minutes to go down from your classroom to the canteen, um, line up, purchase your food, get your seat um, at one of those That's long right. tables and eat it. it. That's a very short time and it makes sense that kids would go for the lowest hanging fruit, right? Quick options, um, but are not necessarily nutritious. Um, and, and of course, cost is a factor as well. And, you know, with you bringing up, um, you know, uh, talking about this time that it takes to get to the canteen, I'm thinking of, you know, back in my school, some classes are not that close to the canteen. You know, it may take you like at least five minutes, you know, to navigate the crowds, to, <laughs> yeah. you know, to stop. Because everyone is rushing to the canteen, right? And, and then- that's that's why I remember um kids, well from my school at least, some of them um vying to be prefects because you got to be let out a little earlier for your break time. <laughs> Priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> um, so we were asking you on social media. Do you think that um the the current government should resume the free breakfast program for B forty students in a bit to tackle malnutrition among them, right? So right now, fifty one percent of you say yes only for the underprivileged. 44.4% says yes, but for all students, while the rest of you, about 4%, say no, draft other policies. And we also had um, some comments. We had Nurul on Twitter saying that uh, my school still has the Rancangan Makanan Tambahan program, which is on uh, whenever the, stu- the students come to school. We also have a couple of WhatsApps. Um, we have Waiming saying who who shared a UNICEF report um, about malnourishment among Malaysian uh, urban children and said that you know we should have a task force to look into addressing all the kids that were reported as malnourished and to not just have a report and then do nothing about it but you know sort of I, I guess to use that report as a um, starting point right to actually in, implement more policies to address malnutrition. Well, actually, um, I know that the Ministry of Health has mm. uh, has been working with UNICEF and. Uh, I would, um, I would, and I would be encouraged, Wai Ming, because uh, I think it is not just a report that's sitting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I have heard that uh, steps have been taken to to look at what can be done um, based on those findings. Mm. Um, we also have Maggie who WhatsApped in to say that if we are so short-sighted in not investing in our children, we are undermining our nation's future assets and we would be behind in our human resource. Mm, good point, Maggie. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, eating in school is... That that whole experience is such a big part of your school life, isn't it? That's and um, we we tend to remember uh, things like the um, so- social aspects, right, of being with your friends in the canteen. Uh, there was a time you got to p- perhaps um, get in some quick playing time, mm. you know, uh, just just uh, catching a break from lessons, and all of that is really part of the experience. Um, food choices are so crucial as well, of course, because all I can remember is fried and processed stuff. Same, and Same. I would. 
Yeah, I would be so happy um, if any meal programs, you know, regardless of whether it's a free breakfast or any sort of supplementary food program or, or really any initiatives being made to improve the food choices at school canteens um, could really look at providing more nutritious meals. Definitely. And I remember all these fried foods were actually really cheap as well. Mm. Like they're, they're, it's sort of the thing like you can pay one ringgit for 10 fried fish, like 10 mini fried fish balls sort of thing. Mm. And, you know, when, and like you said, Shawi, if you as as school kids, right, I remember back then, you know, we were sort of just, if we had 20 minutes for recess break, we wanted to spend like maybe five minutes eating and then the rest of it, perhaps just, you know, lounging about, yeah, chatting, playing, chatting. Playing. And so you'd go for the easiest option, the cheap option, whatever that you can sort of just like, you know, gobble down very quickly mm. because it's, I guess, sort of food. It's just to fill you up at that moment. So perhaps having more healthier, having healthier options available that aren't particularly expensive would actually encourage students to just buy them as well because time is of the essence, right? In this case, I would say. But also, can you blame kids for wanting the oily fried foods? That's Even right. adults can't say no to them, <laughs> right? And those are the kinds of habits um, that sort of, uh, you know, stay with you from childhood, mm. you know? So if you make a few of those choices available um, make it the the standard on the, the basic choices to be more nutritious then I think that's already um, setting a much better foundation. And I guess that's where a free breakfast program comes in because then you get to sort of step in, right? Make that intervention and make sure that there are healthier choices available for students and take this as an opportunity to teach them as well. Yeah, um, you know, there are some schools as well where um, the school operators, the canteen operators themselves and the school um, administrative staff and the parents from the PTAs mm-hmm. are, are sort of like going it on their own. I've, I've heard of some of these schools. Uh, they are working on their own to, to see what they can do to improve uh, meal choices for their kids. And so hopefully, um, you know, a more wide ranging and sustainable program um, will be in place. That's right. That's all the time that we have um, for this discussion today. Um, keep tweeting your thoughts into us at BFM Radio or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Um, we are on Facebook, uh, BFM The Bigger Picture. Um, visit us over there and drop us a line if you'd like to get in touch with us. And um, check out our podcasts on bfm.my slash daily digest. Uh, also on our BFM app if you have it installed or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Coming up after the 3 o'clock news, um, it's Live and Learn. Dashran Johan and Hezra Ashraf will be reflecting on the first year of the Perikatan National Cabinet and they'll be speaking to Hannah Yeo, the former Deputy Minister of Women, Family and Community Development, Said Sadeh, the former Minister of Youth and Sports, as well as Ira Azhari, Manager of the Democracy and Government Governance Unit from the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs. So stay tuned for that. You've been listening to The Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.